Hello, listeners, and welcome to Casual Conversations. I'm your host, Aaron White, and this is a new series here on Fuel and Film that will be appearing in your podcast feed from time to time. What you can expect in Casual Conversations is, well, as they say on Big Brother, expect the unexpected. This is a place for Patrick and myself to have those conversations about films, TV, and maybe even video games occasionally that are really exciting to us at the moment, but don't seem like a great fit for our main line of episodes. Most of these conversations will likely be featuring a guest, as this one does today, although you may hear some solo ramblings from me now and again as well. Another important thing to know is that these are going to be casual in every sense of the word. They are often scheduled on short notice, and I will be conducting these with very little notes. So we're just hoping to get together, chat, and share that with you. Hopefully it'll be something that you all enjoy. With that out of the way, I am happy to introduce film critic and the owner of FirstShowing.net, Alex Billington, who is joining me today to discuss something near and dear to both of us, and that is alpine climbing films. Welcome to the show, Alex. I'm really excited to finally get a chance to chat with you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here, too. And to meet you and to chat with you about all these films. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of like a first meeting for Alex and I. We've interacted on Twitter and some on Letterboxd, but never face-to-face like this before. It's always a fun time to get to collaborate with someone else who does film criticism and loves movies, and specifically movies that you love. Now, I actually discovered you back in the day, and I would say five or six years ago. I don't know how long First Showing has been around. Hopefully you'll tell me. But I discovered First Showing because when I started Feeling Film Podcast, I needed a way to make my episode schedule. And I, I had to see what films were releasing far out. And I remember Googling this and looking for something. And your show popped up in the algorithm at the very top of the search results. Or your, not your show, but your, your website. Mm-hmm. And so from that point forward, I've just always used your website as the definitive location to go get movie release dates like literally i have that page bookmarked Um, you do such a good job with it and i've just stuck to that and so it was kind of neat because i then discovered your your twitter i found you on twitter and we interacted some there and you know love getting to see your movie opinions found your letterbox and i kept discovering that we had uh, what i would say is a very similar sensibility one thing is you're not afraid to rate things high and nor am i (laughs) Yeah. And and I really appreciate that because it speaks to a love of movies and enjoyment of movies and not yeah. like this very cynical view of film where only a few things get to be praised. And then we just also have a lot of the similar tastes. I think we both love romance and rom-com type stuff. We both love this type of film as well. I think we have some similar opinions on sci-fi. We're both big fans of the same type of things in that genre. So anyway... It's cool to get to talk to somebody like you, but I'll shut up. Tell me about <laughs> you. Tell me about your story. Like, I want to know just a kind of a brief history of Alex Billington. How did you become a film critic? Like, why are you in Germany? And how did FirstShowing.net come about? Very different questions, but sure. Um, I know. Yeah. Big one. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm a, I mean, like you, I'm a film nerd. So with first showing, um, before I was doing movies, I was actually running in my like teenage youth, a, a different website about lighting. I was in the lighting design world and I went to college and I kind of came back and I kind of lost interest in the lighting design world. Like it just didn't, the, the industry, which just wasn't my jam as much as I love lighting. Um, and I kind of one summer, the origin of first showing is that one summer we were camping out for movies 
Um, I think it was the summer of Superman, the Brandon Routh one. Returns, uh, I think. It's yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. 15 years ago. So, and I, the, the basic story is like I, I grabbed my gear and there were some other kids who showed up in the, the 30 minutes I went to grab my gear and took my number one spot. And as kind of a retaliation, I was like, I'm going to start a site called First Showing and be the... Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's it, it, in in the long run of the legacy. It's like it, it it actually applies more to my desire to be at the midnight showings and to be at the early screenings than it does my my place in line because I I actually ended up becoming best friends with the two guys who were in front of me. Oh, so cool! Um, yeah, and make a movie over, of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we for years I would blog about our campouts because we would always go during the summer when it was warm. This was in Colorado, and um. Uh, we just camp out for everything. We started hosting events for the midnight movies. We kind of like made that midnight experience into this thing that was more than just, hey, we're there, where we were like, we want to engage the crowd. And that was actually, uh, first showing's early origins was a mix of the online website, but also doing events at the cinema. We would host giveaways. We would get people to come line up and camp with us. We had a big setup where we would try to get sponsors and do all these kind of things. And then over the years, the site kind of evolved, obviously through like it, it launched in the blogger era and then it came a different era which is kind of like after the 2008 recession there was this sort of era of can you be legitimate as a website and that's where we kind of turned into more movie news and so go back to what you're saying i i actually i, I really appreciate that you mentioned the schedule because uh, the release calendar because that's actually something that i'm really proud of but the reason it's so cool is because i created it purely because i couldn't find as you had problems with i couldn't you find did another it for site. yourself yeah. And that was it. It was like, I wanted to make something that was easy to read, clear with the information and all just right there on one page. You know, the, yeah. I think the other resource that a lot of people use is box office mojo. They have a calendar too. And box office mojo has changed to where like you have to click on every month and there's all these weird releases listed that I've never even heard of. And I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to streamline this and make it in the end, to your point, I want to make it useful too. Like I want it to work for me, but I also want other people to be to find it as much of a, a a good resource as I find it for myself. And I'm glad, I think this is when you say this, it's like, I'm so glad that other people enjoy it as much as I do. You know, I had no idea if they would, but that's just clearly a sign that other people have picked up on it. And it's now, I'm proud of it because it's one of the things I dedicate most of my daily life to is just like checking yeah. dates, making sure titles are correct. You know, things, especially during the pandemic, everything was changing day in, day out. Like suddenly this would delay or suddenly they would move it a week. And I'm like, Ah, you know, I have to make sure it's correct. So that's been a lot of my focus is just making sure it's perfect. Uh, yeah, that's awesome, well. man. It, it's so good. It's literally, it's just the perfect type of resource. And the links as well, being able to just quickly click on one and go straight to, I think it's an IMDb page that you typically have them linked to. Yeah, or but the trailer. Can, yeah, 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 or the trailer. But you can just move to more information so simply. Yeah, it's it's very, very good tool. <laughs> Never stop, please. Don't ever get I, overwhelmed. Well, <laughs> No, I have. I actually have an idea that I've been developing as kind of like a next gen, oh. and I won't. I won't give it all away. But it's kind of like <laughs> taking what is there and adding the kind of things that you would want to make it even better. And I worked on it a lot this year, and it just hasn't finalized. One of my early twenty twenty two goals is to finally get this out, and at oh. least in a beta version, just kind of see what people think and see how I can keep making it better and better. Oh, that's great! I'm excited to see that. Definitely put me on the list. I'm happy to give you <laughs> I some will, feedback I will. on it because. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's a fine line between, you know, what is concise versus providing more information. And, and you don't want to ever tip the scale too far yeah. into that overwhelming feel. But, well, that's cool. So 
then how did you get into kind of official film criticism to where, I mean, you do tons of film festivals. I know you live in Germany now. Are you part of a film critic association over there? I don't know how that works. No, actually, um, I'm always been just a solo guy. I kind of, I think that what happens is when you get into the film blogging world, you kind of, you, you always want to dip your toe into reviews just because it's like, you see something, you have something to say, you're going to try and work at it. And then I think you already touched on it, but I think festivals were my kind of like getting, going from my toe in the pool to jumping in, you know, full on. Because not only do I love festivals and I love being there, but there's just something about the purity of being able to write about something before there's any marketing, before there's any other reviews written, before there's any other, any other things said about it. And the, the festival experience when you're there, it has also helped craft me into a better critic by not only seeing films and filmmakers I'd never heard of before and learning about them. I remember um, uh, Kan has always been very helpful to me to, to learn about someone where it's like, I, I didn't know much about Jodorowsky. And I went to see Jodorowsky's Dune and I was like, I need to see every Jodorowsky film. And now I'm like, oh, I love Jodorowsky, right? And that whole process, but also yeah. the process of arguing with critics, like meeting other critics, having conversations with them. I love when I get out of a festival film, I'm like, the first thing I want to do, aside from thinking about my own thoughts, is discuss it with someone. I want to know why did you love or hate it? What is your opinion on it? Not just to understand your opinion, but to understand your criticism of it. And that has kind of helped me learn that what criticism is and what it matters, which is not only your personal expression, but also the depth of which art and cinema mix and what that means and what the relevance is. Like, I don't, my criticism is less about what, what I think the film is on an objective scale and what my feeling is related to that film. And I play that feeling against what other people have to think. Like, I'll read, you know, here's my review, but then I'll read someone else's and be like, wow, that's interesting to see, you know, the completely different interpretation of this scene. But I appreciate why this scene meant so, so much to them or, or upset them in a way that was different than me. And that also helps me think, oh, okay, next time I see this movie, I can appreciate that angle, you know? Oh, um, so well said. That is very much in line with my mission in feeling yeah. film. And that's that was the whole reason our podcast came into existence was because our little tagline is every movie makes you feel something. And mm. there's always something worth celebrating, even in the movies that we don't particularly connect with. And I yeah. just get so frustrated with definitive statements like this is complete trash and no one yeah. should like this. Well, no, somebody liked it. And guess what? There were thousands of people that poured their heart into making that piece of art, yeah. whether you were connected with it or not. So yeah, it's uh, it's very much like how I feel as well. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, um, um, to, answer, to answer your last question though, I, I, the reason I'm in Germany is that I kept coming here for the Berlin Film Festival. I okay. fell in love with Berlin and then I just decided to move one day. <laughs> And it was like, I was in, I was living in New York City and I was like, you know what? I can't really afford to stay in New York. I love Berlin. I'll, I literally just packed my bags, got on a plane and flew here and was like, hey, I want to make my life here and want to make it happen. And um, wow. it's been, the to answer any other questions that people have, it's actually been a journey, but it has been, the most interesting thing I've discovered is that a lot of the world is very similar in how they deal with films. You know, I, I have press screenings here. I have generally the same access that I do here. I go to a lot of film festivals that are in Europe that are showing a lot of the things you'd see in the U.S. You know, a lot of releases are simultaneous here as well. Not everything, but a lot are. So it's kind of like the, this experience is very similar to what I was doing in the U.S., just translated into German and, and living with this kind of German attitude, which is that's a whole other podcast for another day. That was actually going to be one of my one of my next questions was going to be the kind of dumb American question of so are all your movies in German with English <laughs> subtitles? Oh, is 
<laughs> the opposite, actually. Uh, they generally the most screenings are subtitled in German. There's a big. It's it depends on the country. Italy is a famous country for dubbing, so most Italian cinemas only show the dubbed version in Italian. Okay. Like you can you can't really find it. Germany, however, is kind of half and half, and like Netherlands as well is a very English speaking country, so they also are generally like they show the it's called the original language, so they show the original language or the original version with uh, localized subtitles. And okay. the press screenings have been a big debate because the press screenings are like 90% of them. Every Disney screening, thank goodness, is with the original version. It doesn't even have German subtitles. And for some, <laughs> for some reason, the German critics are okay with this. Um, and I'm lucky because I'm like, yeah, everything's great. But every once yeah. in a while, there'll be a film where they're like, oh, no, we're only screening the dub, which is annoying to me because I can't see it. But then also I, I've talked to many of my German friends and they're like, we hate it. We hate the, Germ the German critics also hate the dub version because they want to hear the original voices. They want to hear the original performance. Mm -hmm. And generally, most of them can speak English and hear and understand it. And the only thing they need, if anything, is just subtitles. Um, okay. And so it's been a big debate. But in general, I have the kind of access to go see anything. Um, most releases in theaters are also, a few of the chains do run the English version with subtitles. Um, or like, for example, like if I want to see a German film, I have to find a version with English subs because my German isn't perfect enough to understand it. Mm -hmm. And there's always one cinema showing it like once a day with English subs. Oh, okay. So, so, so it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like uh, we have stuff like that here now more and more. Finally, mm -hmm. some of the AMCs are starting to show more just generalized closed caption screenings mm -hmm. for folks who, you know, want that opportunity, even just English yeah. with English subtitles. Yeah, yeah. So, but they're very limited, obviously. Um, yeah, so yeah. you just kind of have to plan your day around them, I guess. Well, cool. Yeah, it's well, it's good to to get to know your history, man. I um, I had no idea, honestly. <laughs> I was <laughs> like I said, I came into this and I didn't even know if you were American or German for sure. So, uh, <laughs> so now I've been enlightened. But I'm but I'm glad to meet you too because this is as you said at the intro. I I've only known you from feeling film, and I'm like. Oh, it's, I, now I get to meet you and see you. It's, 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 this is actually one of my favorite parts about all of my time in this industry has been doing the, the cliche, putting the Twitter name to a, to a real face moment. And like, there's, I, I, as, as much as Twitter has become a problem, I, I genuinely find that everyone in the film world that I actually meet, I'm like, these people are so cool. They're nice. They're passionate. We love film. That's what brings us together. I wish we could get over our, not only our differences of opinion on cinema, but our need to, to fight so much and just be like, we're here because we love film. And I get to get to meet this guy who's also dedicated his life to film. And here we are having conversations, geeking out about cinema. Like, yes, it's so, so true. Right. It, it is. You know, you've met, I've met so many, we run the same circles too. I mean, with yeah. the yeah. same kind of podcasters and writers, a lot of similar friends. And I agree with you. I think one of the bigger film Twitter issues is not, those people it's not those of us who not do this for a living but do this as a prior priority hobby or whatever but it's it's a lot of times the listeners or the the general public that comments back and kind of instigates some of these arguments and fights and, and in general moviegoers who may be the ones that are wanting to push these arguments further not it's usually not film critic on film critic that doesn't happen a lot it's a lot there's a lot more understanding i think and respect for each other so so yeah. that's good well, okay, cool. Intro done. Let's get into the main topic here, and that is to talk about these alpine climbing films. I didn't know what to title this. 
And this is not all inclusive. So listeners, again, casual conversations, this is what you can expect. This is going to be kind of off the cuff. It's going to be kind of random and ping pong everywhere. It, we may talk about normal climbing films. We may talk about other alpine related things like skiing and snowboarding and whatever. So, but I did want to focus in on the reason that I, I've been so excited for this. And that is, this is a genre that I particularly love and get excited about anytime I see something new being released. And this year, there were at least four kind of really awesome movies in this genre. And I felt like it was a banner year for this. Now, let's start, though, by kind of, I'll ask you, I'll let you go first. What was your kind of introduction into this? I, I have no better word for this than subgenre. I don't think it's technically a subgenre. People get like caught up in semantics of what the genre means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, this type of movie. So movies about outdoor sports when it comes to mountains. Like what made you fall in love with this kind of film? Because I've seen your ratings and they're very like much like my, they're always high. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it, so what is it about these that, that capture your attention the most? Well, I mean, maybe you're like me. I assume this is what I assume. I'm going to see if this is true. But I'm just a mountain nerd. Like I and and, and to be honest with you, um, throughout my whole life, I've even I've even wondered whether I can date women who aren't also mountain nerds. It's been a big question throughout my life <laughs> because because it's a, it, it turns out to be a key thing. Like, do you love the beach or do you love the mountain? And my history began because I grew up in Colorado, um, in Colorado Springs, and I grew up like next to the mountains. And I realized that that's kind of a lot of like explanation for a lot of people. Like if I meet if I meet anyone from Switzerland, they grew up in the mountains too, and they also love mountains. Um, and that's just kind of been my history. Like I grew up going skiing all the time with my family. Um, I've always loved mountains, and it's always just been this like like in in of course a lot of these films deal with this. It's the unexplainable feeling of what the mountains mean to you, which is this just draw and power and and grandeur and beauty to them, and just something about them. And aside from skiing throughout most of my life, um, I've just been drawn in a deep way that goes to like my other big part of this is that I, I did the Everest Base Camp trek a few years ago. Oh, holy cow. Okay. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I didn't I didn't climb Everest because I, I it's a that's a whole other thing. But I but I went to Nepal and I did like a two week hike all the way up to base camp and back. And, you know, I, I don't want to say, oh, it's this cheesy life changing thing. It was life changing, but it was life changing in like the. I've completed a, a dream of my life yeah. and that um, part of that life-changing thing is that, uh, and this is cheesy, but I admit it, is that no mountain I ever see anymore compares to the Himalayas. Like everything, like uh, going home to Colorado, I'm like, these aren't even mountains anymore. Like I've seen the Himalayas with my own the eyes. Rocky, like, the Rocky yeah. Hills. <laughs> and the other factor, which is just part of my family and my upbringing is my brother, who's three years older than me. He um, is also a hardcore skier outdoor nerd and was a professional skier for many years um not in a level at which you would know him like like many of these guys in the films um but it just was he was in the circuits and trying to race and do a lot of big mountain stuff so my family has always kind of had that and i learned a lot from him my brother was the more you know i'm gonna go out and rough it kind of guy and he was the one who got me into climbing like rock climbing when i was a kid and we did that for a few years and you know he's always been that kind of person I look up to in terms of the outdoor stuff and um, so to answer your question specifically one of the things that always drew me to it was that I would sense my brother in these films and I would watch them and think this is not only answering that question which every film that is ever made about mountain climbing asks, which is why do they do mountain climbing and why do they put themselves in this situation but it's also this feeling of uh, 
oh, this is the core of who I am and who my who my brother is and who we are as people. And this is like, it almost feels like it pulls me closer to him in a way. And one of the things I hope we get into is the fact that, and I'm so glad you're doing this conversation with me because one of the things I find is that most film critics are not outdoorsy people. And that yeah. so many of them have hard time understanding the basic question of why, which is like, it's an answerable question and every film answers it with the, I'm drawn to them. And then you're like, and then they just sit there saying, well, but it's so you're in danger. You're going to die. Why would you do that? And I'm like, you don't understand. Once you love the mountains, you just have to keep going. Yep. And to me, that's, that's why I keep watching them. I'm like, I want to learn every story about this guy and that guy. I want to learn about their accomplishments. But I also just love being lost in the mountains and feeling that connection with these people the same way that I feel it myself. And that pulls me deep into these films where I'm like, I'm not questioning the why anymore. I'm more... I want to see what they did and how they accomplished this. And, um, you know, of course, the, the idea of at, at the end of the day, what lessons can they teach us? And what are they, you know, the, the typical public speaking, you know, you can conquer Everest kind of thing. But it's also like I look deeper into, for example, with 14 Peaks, what Nimsdai has been teaching us about the impossible and that you can achieve the impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't he didn't want to just do this just to show that you can climb mountains. He wanted to teach us that we can overcome the impossible and that there's nothing that we can't accomplish. And I think that's such an important lesson to carry over from the mountains to regular life, but also for me and probably for you back into the mountains. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'll ever climb Everest, but there's this like little thing in my mind that's like, well, I, maybe I could do it. <laughs> yeah, the mountains are a metaphor for sure in a lot of ways yeah. for, for things. I was rewatching Mountain, literally the movie named Mountain this morning, <laughs> and it starts with a quote. And it, the quote was, those who dance are considered mad by those who cannot hear the music. And I thought that was the perfect opening because yeah. it does really sum up what all these films are about. And that was going to be another question here in a minute was, you know, what, what, why do we watch these movies? What's the main theme? Of, and that's the connecting theme of all of them is mm. these people are nuts and they put their lives in danger to do this thing and accomplish this thing that is so meaningful to them. Why? Well, that I, like you, I've stopped asking that question now, I do have a different story, which is cool. So it's okay. nice to hear yours. I grew up in Arkansas, which Ooh, okay. was lots of state parks, but no real mountains to speak of in the sense that, you know, nothing like Colorado. We have the Ozarks, but it's very different. I now live in uh, Seattle in the Pacific Northwest and have for a couple decades. Once I got here, I kind of really started to fall in love with them because they're all around. Yeah. And... I started hiking a lot, and so I do that. I've kind of dabbled in the idea of climbing a mountain myself. There was one journey I was going to go on with my roommate at one point a couple of years ago. I bought crampons. I bought poles. I was <laughs> ready to go. I bailed at the last minute. I was terrified. I have come to see that, for me, I think the genre is more about living vicariously. So there's a level of outdoor sport that I personally enjoy, and it is my choice. 90% of my hobby time goes to movies and a little bit to video games. So I am always in front of a screen. It's what I do for work. I just, I'm always in my house on the couch. So the one thing I love to do the most when I get out is to go hiking, right? And go, or kayaking. There's so much to do outdoors here in the Pacific Northwest. I never, I've skied a couple times when I was young, but no, I haven't gotten into it, even though it's right right across the way. Like I could go 10 miles or whatever, and I could be on a mountain skiing. It's crazy. And I just have never gotten back into it. I'm afraid I'm probably too old at this point. No, uh, no, no, no. 
my, my legs, man. Oh, I feel I'm like, I look young. I'm only in my early forties, but holy cow. I, I shoveled the driveway from snow yesterday and I feel like I'm just dead. So, but there's, there's like this, this um, mystique to climbing and, and it is a dangerous thing and it is a very physically intensive thing. And so I just, I admire them so much that I get swept away. And what really triggered it for me was watching Free Solo a few years ago. That was, and I think probably for a lot of folks, that was a mainstream introduction to a wow, like this thing exists out there. I'd already seen Meru and Touching the Void at this point, and I was already into mountain climbing action films in general. But when I saw what Alex Honnold was doing, and again, digging into that why question which is so strong in that film especially of like are you kidding me yeah um it it just it swept me away and i i needed more and i wanted to learn more about all of these people who do this and why they do it and i i got to interview alex for that film and it just kind of he it put him on such a human level it really made him so down to earth. Like it showed me just exactly what you see of this guy in the film. Like he is an everyday guy, you know, and he's just doing a thing he loves. And so it was fascinating to me to kind of get to explore that because so much of what we see in films about sports and I love sports films, one of my favorite genres, but typically as much as we always say it's for the love of the game, sports is about competition in so many ways and it's about you know winning it's about performing at your best and so while this is also there's something different to me about alpine climbing and climbing in general where these climbers they may do it to to challenge and prove something to themselves but they there is a deep deep love that pervasively like drives them throughout so uh yeah so that's i mean that's my history with it, it's something I, I hope to one day, you know, I'll, I'll probably conquer a smaller mountain at some point. I need the mountain well, Aaron, to not Aaron, be it's, steep. It's, it needs to my, not be steep. It's my, goal, <laughs> it's my goal now to build a regimen for you, get you training, and get you on a mountain. It is now, you've, you've turned me into well, like the Aaron, the Aaron supporter. Who I'm going to be cheering. Got a trainer. Let's you go. You got to do it. You got to do it. Because I... Now that you've told me this, I'm not going to let you go unless you you get to a mountain sometime. Literally, I mean, I have no excuse, Alex. They're yeah, they're. Exactly. I'm not kidding. I you know, 15 minutes, and I'm on varying yeah. mountains of different sizes. We were going to climb. I don't want to say was it Rainier at one point. Uh, a couple about a year ago, we ended up getting blocked off. It was going to be a couple day trip. Um, so I mean, yeah, they, they exist. They're here. I, yeah, I just have course. to get off my butt and go do it. Yeah. So. Let's start with the four films from this year. And the the four that I want to kind of highlight are The Summit of the Gods, The Alpinist, Torn, and I'm, Torn's kind of in the middle. Like, I call it this year. It got a limited release in New York and L.A. markets at the end of December, and it's, yeah. it's coming wide on January 7th, so it's one of those kind of movies. Right. And then you mentioned 14 Peaks, Nothing is Impossible uh, with Nims Die. So these four just... They do different things, and I, and that's one thing I really loved about them. Okay. Fourteen Peaks is about someone literally accomplishing something that has never been done before, and not just accomplishing it, but demolishing a record in a way that you have never seen in most sports before. People don't just beat records like this. <laughs> Usually, it's like, oh, I went, 
five feet further than that guy. Or, you know, I scored three more points than this person. This is like a just complete and utter blowing away a record. And then you have Torn, which is, you know, it's about a family of climbers. But wow, it's more about the crazy family situations that occur out of this. And it's like an exploration of learning about who a person was and why they were gone so soon and what the effect of that was on the family after the case. You have the Alpinist. I've been nervous about spoiling this. I hate, I don't think we can talk about it necessarily without spoiling it, but I will say this. I went into this film not knowing what happened. So this is a, this is okay, good. So this is about, if you Google it, you'll find out. Like it's right there. But it's like Free Solo, where when I was watching Free Solo, I didn't know if Alex was going to live or die. Right. And the feeling that that created in me in IMAX, sitting there watching it, was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. Like I, I truly felt for this person, and I was scared to death. And I felt for Jimmy Chin, who I was already growing connected to through Meru and his his work with photography. That I knew him, and watching him film this friend of his, knowing like at any second it could be he could be capturing on film a man's death. And the Alpinist kind of gets at that on some level as well, and then takes it a step further. And then the Summit of the Gods, which is, I thought was a documentary when I fired it up and found out it's not, but it is like a top five film of the year for me. It is one of my favorite animated films of the year. Just a brilliant merger of anime style and this historical fiction within this community that I just was blown away by what that movie was able to accomplish on an emotional level. And then on a cinematic level with its animated depiction of the mountains it's breathtaking and spectacular i don't i don't think any of these movies aren't spectacular i mean anytime you're looking at these gigantic (laughs) snowy covered mountains so i guess if you wanted what is there anything that stood out to you overall about these movies and like which one was your favorite what did you love about them Feel free to go anywhere you want from his point on. Well, I mean, you, you you talk about some really good points, which is that they are so different. Um, and one of the things I want to talk about before I get into like how much uh, for for me, Fourteen Peaks was like the I lost my mind and just was like Nims Die is my hero from now on kind of movie. Someone of the gods, I also lost my mind because I I didn't know this movie existed. I caught a screening of it and was like, I had no idea they were making this, and it blew my mind. But I want to start with um, the other two, the, the, the documentaries, Torn and Alpinist, because uh, what I really loved about these two is that they deal with, and I, I mean, again, we have to talk about the spoilers, but they deal with death in a way that no other mountain climbing film has, and especially no other mountain climbing documentary has up until this point. And for the exact reason, number one, that you just said, which is that you're watching Free Solo and you're watching other films and you're like, who's going to die and who's not? And then there's the 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 famous Everest story, which has been made into a movie where you know all these guys are going to die, so you know what's coming. But um, with these two, there's the, what I appreciated about the way they deal with this, the heaviness of it, is instead of the question lingering over you, like it's dangerous, you know, can he die, will they die, etc. It deals with the actual reality of what happens when you confront death. And it deals with not only um, the legacy of the family as they do in Torn, which I think is, is extremely fascinating, but it also deals with this idea of 
and it, you, you, I, what I like about it is you can't not deal with this, is that you are definitely for sure putting yourself in a dangerous position doing this. And you cannot, as a climber and as someone who goes out and does this, and as someone who's also on my own been in these situations, you can't not think about that. And, and every one of them always says the same thing. They say the only way to, to deal with this is to be prepared, know what you're doing, and to concentrate. And that's how Honnold does it. That's how all of them do it is they, they are masters of their craft. They've put in the hours of practice they need to do. They know the snow conditions. They know everything that's going on around them. They're familiar with the avalanche and how it works. They know all of this. So they, they minimize the risk as best they can, but there is a risk. And as in, I think it was Torn, they say, one of the guys they're interviewing says, like, it's a 50-50 chance you're going to die. And that 50-50 people, or maybe it was in 14 Peaks. It was like 50% people, 50 of people who go out and do this kind of work end up dying. And it's true. And it's something that, Within the community, it's small because 50% maybe only means a couple hundred people. But within the climbing community, that's a large number of people. And it's right. impactful because they're major people. And that you have to ask these questions. And I think Torn, to me, was almost groundbreaking in the way that that's like the pivot in the middle is, okay, this happens. Then what? Right. And I'd never seen a film actually ask that and then spend the rest of the movie saying, and then what? And then not to give away all of it, but the beautiful, beautiful story of what happens next, which is not only that this guy was kind of by fate survived when his friend didn't, you know, he was in the same avalanche with him, but somehow made it out. But then what he does with that family and how he continues, like, here's what, here's what I was thinking the whole time on that second half of Torn is I was like, this family of, I think it was three boys, right? That uh, he yes. Had, yep. This family could have easily become spiteful and resentful towards mountains and climbing and hated the climbing community and just turned into this this homebody never going to go outside kind of group but the guy who came in and kind of took over was was a reminder to them that hey there is something that your father loved about this and even if you're resentful to him because of the danger he put himself in you can't deny that 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 was there and he's going to keep that as part of the family and i thought that was just like you know, tears to my eyes, beautiful of what that addressed. And the fact that, yes, there comes risk, but there's also the beauty in that risk. And I think that's, it was so amazing to see a documentary pull that off to say, oh, yeah. Hey, not only did this happen, but guess what? There's beauty in the outcome of what happens. And that you're going to end up with this family and you're going to feel like this family, some, I, I like, I, I, I'm not a religious guy, but I was like, there's almost this touch of miracle you know influence of god on the fact that this mm -hmm. man just happened to be there to step in when the other guy left and that was just whew, what a moment to me watching that yeah and, it, it was very powerful emotionally speaking i that's like you the pivot and then the second half is far more interesting to me than the build-up as oh, yeah. well and i love that you mentioned resentment because the kids do well, one of them specifically the, the one that's making the movie i think it's max that's making on this the movie himself he's going through these old photos and videos of his father's history as a climber and learning about his story because he was kind of young the other two boys were so young that they have mostly no recollection of their dad and it's really intriguing how much he does resent not having his father there and goes through this process of confronting it frankly, on screen while making a documentary, it's very raw. And the fact that it is Max himself, the son that is making this documentary, also makes it very special because yeah. this is not someone coming in from the outside and being like, hey, I want to tell your story. Mm -hmm. 
and then kind of dictating how that story gets presented. This is him doing it on his own and us getting this raw, vulnerable at times look at the ups and the downs and the struggles of coming to terms with this. And, you know, not everything, it's not like he's going to always end up with this belief that, oh, I'm so glad that my dad died, right? That's not the way that they come out of this. It's a, it's just a, a, coming to an acceptance of what the reality is and why someone did what they did. So I, I agree. It is incredibly beautiful. And I'm excited for people to get a chance to see it because of how unique it is. And like, and the family, I, I'm actually part of a pretty uniquely blended family, not in the way it, I mean, like I'm divorced and I have kids and ex-wife's married again and he has kids but we're all best friends i mean we spend christmas together we spend all of our time together and so many people don't have that experience and so while it hasn't ever been born out of necessarily loss like this there is something to be said about loving people and loving each other as human beings without these forced reasons not to Right. Like you could easily harbor some sort of hate for this man that was with your husband and he survived. Like, why, why would God let this guy survive and this guy not? Or why does right. fate let that happen? Right. But to open yourself even to being friends with this person, much less letting yourself become romantically involved with him as the, the wife does at one point. Like, it is a really, really nice documentary. It's not the best when it comes to like footage, I don't think. Yeah, and that that was what surprised me about it is, and what makes it a, a nice pairing with the rest of these is this one's not about the cinematic view of mountains. It's about the actual effects of what happens when you yeah. push too far, um, yeah. to some extent. Yeah, I I think that's why these two are necessary is they they make us confront that ultimate question of that you can't ask the question of why and why these people do without asking that question of what happens when they die or if they die and that you need to because i'm a, i'm also a big person who who recognizes the limited life we have and i'm also a person that completely understands when every time they're ever asked in these films why do you do it and they say it's the only time i feel alive and i'd rather do this and risk dying feeling alive than not i'm like i understand that without a you know without hesitancy i'm like i get it <laughs> um, I completely get it and I love this about them and I, I'm with them and that like I'd rather go and put myself you know in, in theory in risk to do this and to be there and to feel that feeling of the mountains than not and each of these films needs to address that but do it in a way that also um, and this is what's so fascinating about this one being the, the sun being making is do it in a way that also doesn't end up hating mountains and hating the sport and hating it it's like you could easily get there but they never do and I think that a lot of climbing films have always kind of addressed that. Another one that I thought was extremely fascinating um, was the the K2 documentary. Um, yes. Because uh, it's a spoiler, but it's an old documentary is that they don't actually make it to the summit. And the whole film was about them being like, oh, we thought we were going to summit, which is what you, yeah. you know, as a movie lover, you think, oh, the whole point is to summit and be done and have a happy ending. And they're like, we didn't. And instead of us feeling bad about that, they're like, what you should feel good about is that we're alive. And that we did the challenge anyway. That was what this is ultimately about. And I was like, wow, that was, that was really eye-opening to someone who, you know, literally hasn't been in that exact position. And I think that relates to a lot of these films as well. It's like, yeah, Nim's dad does everything. 
but he does it with that fear and concern in his mind of what could happen and and that safety is paramount i mean i the mind-blowing thing about nimzai in 14 peaks is when he rescues other people after summoning it himself you're like oh my god but he's also the climbing community cares for each other they love each other they want people to survive it is that close-knit thing where everyone is there and that's a thread in in torn as well and and in alpinus in terms of um the support that uh that he had around him and and just the community that you build is that is important as well yeah, and also in not succeeding. The Alpinist, I mean, that happens at one point as well, where yeah, he's yeah. trying to make it up. And usually that's not what you see in a movie. A movie is yeah. all about like, oh, these are the stories where they were successful. And yeah. he's trying to get up. And it shows you very clearly like, no, there's a point where it just can't happen. You, you, the, mm-hmm. the ice is too thick. The avalanche is too strong. You know, the wind is too too high. And, and you can't do the thing. And so The Alpinist is interesting because it has both success and failure mm-hmm. um and it captures those really well i think for me and it was made by the filmmakers uh our name mortimer and rosen and they also made a movie called the dawn wall which i highly 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 recommend right. another one of my favorites yeah. and they are capturing mark andre leclerc's life and that's the name of the, the albinist the titular albinist and having watched free solo it's impossible not to like immediately want to compare and draw these parallels between himself and alex honnold because of what they do mark doesn't only do free soloing but he does a lot of free soloing and there are actually quotes in that documentary from alex where he says that mark andre leclerc is like he's the biggest fan of mark andre leclerc which tells you a lot about how kind of crazy dangerous what this guy is doing is even alex is like it's one thing to climb with nothing but your hands you know it's another thing to have to use ice picks and Mm -hmm. pickaxes as your hands and have no sort of uh, system to save you if you fall and so the footage is incredible and i really did find it interesting kind of looking at alex and then now mark and how much these guys what makes them able to do this? And I and I found some parallels being in that they have very small circles of people that they around them that they probably considered deep loved ones. Mm-hmm. So it in a sense, it's almost like a whether it's on purpose or not, it's like a minimized loss. So if <laughs> if you were to die, you know, you're going to affect the lives of directly, maybe a handful of people. You don't have this huge circle of people that are very close to you they also very much live off the grid they're not plugged into the world mark on an even alex has kind of started to become more engaged with some social media stuff ever since free solo and now he's married and has a kid on the way and it's going to be fascinating to see how that affects him but you know mark disappears at one point he's very He's allowing the documentary to happen. And what was, was really interesting, I wondered at times if the documentary was just going to stop because he literally disappears yeah. in the middle of making this documentary. He agrees to do it kind of reluctantly and then he disappears. And they're like, they go on a journey to find him in the middle of the documentary to continue it. And he just, these guys have a different mindset. They're not there for the, the fame. They're not there for the attention. They just want to do the thing they want to do. And the only way that these movies get made is if they're allowing someone else to kind of 
come along in the background and be as invisible as possible and capture it. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, you get such very authentic human moments in these kind of films with Mark. He's at a base camp before he's going to do his climb. And I can't remember where he's at. I want to say he's in Switzerland or the somewhere um, in the Nordic countries. Uh, but he's in this small, like, little bar. And just the way that he interacts with the locals, mm-hmm. it's so heartwarming to see someone doing things not for a camera, but it's just who they are. And you, you get that sense about them. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it as well. And it has some of the most awe-inspiring climbing sequences. Actually, I would say it has the most awe-inspiring climbing sequences yeah. of the year. Because even in 14 Peaks, while the overall achievement is incredible, and this is partially because of what they were doing, and you can't really film it as you're doing it, yeah. or or you're not going to live, because they yeah. didn't bring along like a full camera. Yeah, exactly. But like with Mark, some of the stuff that he does and you get to see, it, it'll blow your mind. It, it'll yeah. make you literally question how it happens, how it's possible. This is what I love about these films. I'm like, how do they get this shot? I have I have no idea. I mean, the, they must have climbed it and like leaned over and like it's, I mean, Jimmy Chin has been one of the only people who's kind of led in on how they get it. Like I've seen some of his uh, behind the scenes of Free Soul and I was like, oh, damn, he's in much of a risk as Honold is. Yeah. It's really cool to hear him talk about those behind the scenes in Free Solo and how the, he yeah. had different climbers with, with cameras set up and he had to minimize how many there were and keep them out of Alex's sight lines so it wouldn't, you know, distract him. Yeah. But yeah, you had to be able to get the great shot. You're right. It's really fascinating. Yeah. What am I, and this is the other thing. One of my favorite parts of the Alpinist is when uh, you, you, you spend all this time learning about Mark and he's like this goofy, wacky dude and you're kind of like, like for half the movie, I was like, how does this guy even know how to climb? Like, he just seems like such a weirdo, funky kid. And then there's this moment where he explains, he's like, as soon as I get to the wall and as soon as I start climbing, he just full concentration. And I think there's one of these mind blowing shots where you see him go from that, hey, bubbly, curly hair kid to the climber. And I was like, oh, and that was like one of those like chills moments where I was like, I understand how he's able to do this now because I can see him being that dedicated to the technique and being that in the zone to pull it off and i love that we get to see the difference between as you're saying the guy the 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 guy on the ground (laughs) and the guy on the wall and and how he can be that way and it's the same with honald i'm like honald kind of seems this like funny guy but to but to actually have the technique and skill and to be frank the dedication and the, the the concentration to pull off these kind of climbs safely is something that none of us have you know only these few people in the world have that and that's also so exhilarating to see captured on camera because you can talk about it you can write about it but to actually see that feeling and to see it in their eyes and to see it in their in their techniques and to see how they grab the wall is like oh it gives me an extra little like bump in my heart when i'm like okay i see it i and to your to what we talked about before i feel it in that footage and that takes us on a whole other level. I think that's what everyone loved about Free Solo is they're like, I was gripping the edge of my seats with fear. But it's also like, it's it's also not just the fear of it happening, but understanding how Alex or how Mark can pull it off. Understanding how this particular man and this particular person or woman or whoever it may be has the skill and has what they need to do that is also part of the exhilaration while you're gripping the seat. You're like, I would fall, but he's not. And that's mind-blowing to see. Yeah, and in Mark's case, you know, it's 
I'm just gonna not beat around the bush. I mean, he ultimately loses his life, but he doesn't lose his life on the thing that the documentary is trying to show us. Like the documentary is building up to this moment and this specific climb that he is going to attempt. Mm. And that's not it. It's just another climb the, you know, shortly after that down the road, it just happens and it can happen. And that reminded me so strongly that it's not just the ones we're watching happen, the biggest ascents, right? The, the hugest challenges that these guys take on. It can happen any day that they go out to do this on any level of mountain that they attempt to climb. And it, it, you know, the avalanche can happen, right? The weather can turn. They can miss a foothold. It is insane, the level yeah. of concentration. And you wonder sometimes, like, what other people that have this kind of unique ability to do that? And they talk about Alex during his doc in Free Solo, actually. One of the things is about they scientifically look at his Abdullah Mon- Mongoing, whatever it is. I can't even say it. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's thing in the, the, the water yeah. boy, Abdullah Oblongata. That's what it is. It's that one. And uh, and they talk about like how it's kind of smaller. It's the part of your brain that senses fear. And his is, anatomically, he is designed to not feel fear quite as distinctly as the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps him to be able to deal with these things. Because he, he just doesn't, where you and I would look at it and be and have to overcome mm-hmm. this feeling this anxiety that doesn't exist in him it's not there and i think that's part of it's it's funny just it's it's not funny but it's really so interesting to see that these people with this trait find this sport right Mm -hmm. like i wonder if there's people out there that have these traits what else are they doing with their life like are they just podcasting are they just you know (laughs) writing blogs or you know just accountants who knows I think that happens though is if if the moment catches you like if you're for whatever reason in your life you're pushed into it in a way that you like get a taste of your your love for it and your feeling to do it I think that can be the switch for it. I mean Alex and and Mark kind of like they're born in communities that kind of led them to it. But but to your question I'm like I'm really curious if there's someone who's who like all they need to do is just be taken on a ski trip and then their life changes, you know? Like that kind of thing where it's just what is it that will take them? I mean, I always wonder that about Everest too. Everest is kind of like, yeah, there's the there's the tourism aspect of saying you climb the tallest mountain in the world. But I I almost want to interview every person on Everest, and I want to be like, what was it that you did drew you to make this your mission? Was it overcoming challenges, or was it attraction to mountains? Was it your skill? Was it your 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 draw towards how much it pushes you? Was it that feeling of being alive? I'm sure all of these answers are, you know, everyone has something similar to this, but it's like, this is what's so fascinating to explore in these films is that that individual personality that makes them achieve it. And even to your point with, with 14 Peaks and Nimzai is that um, they do the scientific research on Nimzai too, which has kind of been already assumed is that Tibetans so cool. and Nepalese have a, a much more robust body to deal with low oxygen. And it's like, it's always been talked about, but I'm glad that they like proved it with science this time. To say like he literally the treadmill has that. and yeah, yeah it's, it's really cool because that's so, that's something that um has always been the case is like I don't want to say oh well any anyone can do it if you put your mind to it but clearly there's something about these people that has a, a physical difference that allows them to be able to do it not only in terms of like strength but in terms of mental difference in a good way I would say definitely and and I think 
you know, let's talk about that one specifically and partially like, you know, you mentioned it was your favorite, I think, of all of them or the one that really mm. grabbed you the most. So what is it about his story that is so compelling to you? Like he's, it's a very different sort of documentary because it's not about that singular ascent. Mm. And yeah. there is no one ascent that is given the full documentary treatment like you would mm -hmm. normally see all this build up to I'm going to climb this one mountain and instead it's 14 peaks. And so it literally is like, he's rocket firing. To, it's like, it's, it's like yeah. we get footage of them at the, the base camp. And then the next thing you know, it's boom, we summited and now we're on yeah. to the next one. Cause you got to be moving. So what, what was different about this one, not having that typical format that still was so overpowering to you? Well, I mean, I'll preface, uh, you won't see it in the camera, but I'm, I'm a Nepalese fan. This is, uh, oh, look at that. I'm ever since I went to that is awesome. Nepal and did the base camp trek, I've had a, I've had a connection to Nepal, which I think everyone who goes there feels that way, especially if you're a mountain nerd is there's just something about it. Um, and, and part of what 14 peaks being different than the others is that part of what blew me away about it is that it's a Nepalese film about rightfully correcting the, idea of the Nepalese are the true mountain champions in the world. And this goes back to, um, and I want to talk about this later because uh, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the documentary Sherpa, which was um, mountain yes. director. This was her first or one of her bigger documentaries before she went on to make mountain. Um, and I'll get back to that. But so the, the connection here with 14 peaks and what's going on with Nepal is that of course, we all know the, the original two to summit Everest um, was a Nepalese man and a New Zealand man. And everyone knows Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the, uh, the, the, the New Zealand guy. And um, Tenzing Norgay is the Nepalese man, but not everyone knows Tenzing. Um, and uh, I, 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 he, I mean, he's been immortalized because he was the, two, the first two to go up there. But one of the things that has happened, and Sherpa discusses this a lot, is that uh, Westerners have kind of taken over the, the Himalayan mountain climbing and the Asian mountain climbing world. And it's not only like a achievement of look what I did, like I'm a Westerner who came over here and did this. It's also just this like tourism thing that's really degrading to Nepal and to the country. And once you learn through Sherpa and through being there in Nepal, that not only uh, is there a deep like spiritual connection to the mountains that the Nepalese have and the Tibetans, but there's also this uh, sense of pride that you feel from them. Like everyone you meet is just like, these are our mountains and look at, look at, you know, and not only are they they connected to them, but they're like the helpers. They carry everything up on their backs like it's nothing to them. And so what I thought 14 Peaks did is that, and I had no idea this movie existed until Netflix dropped it like a week. It was like the trailer was out Same. and it was on Netflix. The weekend. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. like, and I guess that he had been covering this on social media because I heard that um, he posted about how Jimmy Chin, Jimmy Chin, like the center of all these documentaries, he had posted about how Jimmy Chin had been coaching him on doing social media. And that, that was kind of what encouraged him to get a bit more into um, being public about it. So this was on his Instagram, but I didn't know about it until this year. And watching this, what I realized is that what Nimstai is doing, who he has a fascinating story on his own, going through his process of going to the British Special Forces, which is kind of like he escapes Nepal in a little bit, builds himself up and, and obviously gains money and notoriety there, then returns to Nepal. And in that return, he kind of... Um, through he never says this in the film which is fascinating to me but through the film and through this achievement of climbing the 14 peaks shows that nepalese are the true mountaineers of the world 
And after, uh, I guess it was 1953, they first summited Everest. So now, 60 years later, 70 years later, they've been able to say, look, we're correcting the course on actually it's the Nepalese we owe our mountain climbing legacy really to. And not only that, but here's a guy who with the most simplest of ease climbed 14 peaks in six months without a, without a, you know, without, I mean, they used oxygen, but without, without so much of any issues. And that, uh, of course, the, the documentary perfectly includes a lot of other historic climbers who are like, no, we, I give my, I give my trophy to Nimzai because what he did is incredible. But then there's also this just reminder that like, hey, don't forget, don't, don't push the Nepalese aside. They're not just your Sherpas. They're not just your guys who carry your stuff. These are also climbers and they deserve as much attention and acclaim as all the Westerners do. And I was just, so I was like in tears seeing that. Mm-hmm. And seeing Nimzai be like, look at what we can do too, but not in a selfish or in a like overly prideful way, but just in a look, we do this because we want to show everyone that you can achieve the impossible mm-hmm. and that this is something anyone can do. And that's the Nepalese spirit is like, it's not about being prideful because their religion is not about pride at all. It's about achievement. It's about uh, connection and, and like beauty and appreciating that. And that's why, like, the other moments that uh, I already mentioned, but I'll say it again, is the other moments that, like, blew me away when Nimzai summoned something, which is already an incredible summit. And then he's like, oh, right, there was two guys on the way down that we saw were dying. So we went back up and saved them and carried them down. And I was like, you just That summoned... part was insane. They, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's so, it's like, how can you not cry at these, the generosity of these guys? Yeah, they risked their life. I mean, they were they were out of oxygen at that point, and they were like, "Well, we're not going down without them. We're not if we leave them here, they die, and we're not going to risk." And then they and even then they said that there was you know a low chance necessarily of survival for them, and they're giving up their limited amount of oxygen to these guys that were injured on the top of the mountain. That was incredible, incredible. Yeah. And it's the the thing about it and the, and the whole documentary. It's never about Nims. It's interesting because he is such the center point of the documentary, but it's never, like you said, it's never about him. It's about the people. It's about everybody. And so when you see these things happening, you get this wider sense of it all throughout the documentary at base camp before going up for climbs. You get to see his group of friends and his team and they're hanging out and they're dancing and laughing and getting drunk the night before they go, which is again yeah. these guys are crazy they are yeah. freaking yeah. crazy they're not normal human beings but then there's like a great section that really focuses on his family as well and you get to see his wife and his um i don't know if it's his grandmother but his his um, elders as well and his kids and you see how they motivate him and how they support him that's always one of my favorite things about these documentaries is the loved ones and how yeah. they handle that as we mentioned with torn and then also the alpinist free solo all of them so those aspects were really cool there's there's another part of this that i think is really neat and helps so so there is some cinematography in this that's incredible just the shots from the summit in general yeah you will the only way you're ever going to get this is from like a person doing this right and so it's so rare we can get camera footage from a helicopter or some sort of you know technology and we can get camera footage from an actual climber and it just is very different to see the perspective of someone standing on the top of that mountain and then to augment that 
there's a couple of great animated sequences that are introduced into this documentary that help to kind of show you what it's like on the climbs mm. when we weren't getting footage of that part yeah. and of that section. It really highlights just how difficult each and every singular one of these mountains was. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's pretty neat um, to see this. And like, and then also, like you, I think that one of my other favorites of this was just the focus on the Sherpas. And he goes into great length to make sure people understand that these people have names mm-hmm. and they are part of the team and they are, you do not summit without these folks. Like you don't just do this in a vacuum. You're not the only guy on the mountain and you need to give credit where credit is due to these folks. And so, yeah, I I was pretty much blown away by the overall presentation of this. And, and you're right. That makes sense. What you're saying about him with Jimmy Chin coaching him because his, I've been following him on social media now and he is certainly up to his game and it's all about the foundation. It's all about the bigger picture of okay, now we've shown the world this. How can we inspire people to make change that is positive for the world, whether it's climbing or something else? It is a very, very, very touching and moving documentary. Um, and I hope people see it. I, it's weird because, I, you know, I'm watching, I always look at Letterboxd and I'm like, how many people have watched this? How many people have checked this one out? And these get so few views, but I, I try to turn people onto them at every chance I get. Uh, yeah. Just to to draw attention to them, I've convinced a few friends. I don't know how, but I they because I have a few German friends who are always like, "Hey, what what do you recommend? What do you recommend?" And of course, because they have Netflix here, anyone can watch anything on Netflix. So this was like the moment I saw it. I was like, "You need to watch 14 Peaks." And a couple of my friends saw it, so I know I know it has happened. But I, to your point, it's the, I would say the hardest thing in the entire film industry is to get people to watch documentaries. It's so hard. I, I, I'm a documentary nerd, but only because I've dived into them for the last 10 years. But I, I can't convince, and I can't even convince my girlfriend half the time to watch them. It's just like, <laughs> it's just so hard to get, because of course, not only do you have to be interested in the subject, but you have to want to dedicate your time to, to the filmmaking, which you have no idea if it's going to be good or bad. You know, you can take reviews, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to like it. And then I think a lot of people see film purely as the, dramatic creation and that to see a documentary that isn't like a tv special and presented as a film for a lot of people who aren't normally into it is a little bit weird but then i think there are kind of the moments where you see something that's like a foundational documentary to you and you're like oh i had no idea documentaries could be like this like i think 14 peaks is what you were saying at the beginning in the intro when you were like how do the how do they show a guy climbing 14 peaks in in 90 minutes of time and make it thrilling and entertaining and not waste time on every summit is part of what is such a cool thing about this documentary. I even thought it was directed by Nimzai, but it's not. It's by another guy. Um, and, I, and I think that there's... I hope 14 Peaks is the kind of thing where maybe someone who has no interest in climbing or has never done it before or whatever watches it and is like, clicks in their mind, like, now I need to go, not only go to Nepal, but also just try it like you like i want you to say hey this film made me want to actually get the gear and go do it because essentially that's what it takes and i think a lot of these films that that's what everyone teaches you is like all it takes is just that determination to go do it to put in the effort to put in the 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 energy and focus you need to do it you can't i mean you you can but you can't really just say like oh tomorrow i'm gonna go climb like you're yeah yeah there's definitely prep that's necessary yeah yeah on a physical level on a gear level I yeah, mean, exactly. 
you could you could really get hurt <laughs> even <laughs> on a smaller mountain you know you get yourself up there and you got to get down um there's, there's, there's a, a lot to think about there's a funny film that this reminds me of that one of my friends one of my climbing friends here recommended called the climb and it's this like french drama from five years ago i think it's on netflix and it's really cheesy but the concept is that there's this um like a uh, North African French guy who uh, for a girl, cause she jokingly says, Oh, I'm not interested in you unless you were capable of something. And he says, no. well, I'll climb Everest for you. <laughs> and he having never climbed in his life, literally just books a ticket and goes and does it. And it's based on a true story. Oh. Um, and it, the, the film is cheesy, but it was really fun. And it was actually remarkably accurate. Like they actually went to Nepal and filmed the entire progress that, that he would have done on his way up to base camp and then up the mountain. Um, but it was, it was the only time I've ever seen someone actually do that exact concept of he's never climbed and he's literally just going to book a ticket and go and just did it somehow. And the, and the funny thing, which I guess is based on the real story is that in his summit push for Everest, his other group members didn't make it. And he was the only one who in that final push made it to the summit and then came back. That is incredible. And it yeah. should not be inspiring. It should be a cautionary tale. Like, <laughs> it kind of is. Know, the is. takeaway should not be that, oh, you too can just fly to Everest and climb <laughs> it and make it to the summit. It should be like, this guy was lucky and that is incredible. Don't do this. <laughs> it's bas- it basically feels that way at the end. It really does. <laughs> I'll have to look that one up then because that sounds great. Yeah, I like documentaries. I'm a huge fan as well. Anytime that something can teach me some anything, it's just fascinating. And I don't even have to care about the subject. That's one thing I love about documentaries is I'll watch anything because I'm learning. And that in and of itself, even if the filmmaking isn't particularly unique or special, will keep me engaged. Whereas, uh, you know, not every movie story will. But um, yeah, yeah, so the other one and the one that I mentioned was probably my favorite of all of them this year was The Summit of the Gods. Yes. And... You know, this is an animated film from French director Patrick Imbert, and it is an anime, which is also something I have a great love for. And so I was just excited as heck to see like, oh my gosh, there's a climbing movie, an anime style. What the heck is going on? Someone made this for me. And did you see, you said you saw it at a screening kind of surprisingly. Was that at a theater? It was. was Oh my God, I'm so jealous right now. That is... (laughs) I just did my top 10 recorded or episode on the podcast of my films. And that was the thing I said was, this is the movie of the year that I wish I would have given anything to see this in a theater with a big screen and sound. Oh, I just can't even imagine. This is probably why I gave it a 10 out of 10 is I was just like, and also the score, I love the score. The score. And they they had, they had cranked it. I was at a, like a special press screening in France. So they had like cranked it up and I was just there just being like, like overwhelmed by everything and i was like i actually i think i had the, the opposite thought of you i was like if i hadn't seen this in the cinema i would not have been as completely lost into it as i was and i was just like in awe the entire time and i think yeah. one of the factors that we you have to mention with this film is how perfect every detail is mm-hmm. i kept thinking to myself i wonder if they're animating on actual photos of the mountains because it seems like every piece of the rock is detailed every crampon and 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 every carabiner and device is perfectly drawn and, and animated into it, which is painstaking in terms of animation, but also something that I think a lot of animators would just skip over and not care about. But in this film, they're like, yep. we need to get this right. We need to get this accurate because this is a story about climbers. 
and it needs yeah. to be that accurate. And it I mean, is. I, I, I'm just so happy. It's another one where like we're, we're talking about, I'm so happy you saw it <laughs> and I'm so happy you love it because I, I came out of it thinking the same thing. I was like, no one's going to see it and no one's going to love it as much as I do. And here's one other person, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah. Aaron. Oh yeah. Yeah. I exist in the world to be your, <laughs> you know, spirit animal with these. Cause I, I have been pushing this on everybody. And so far again, everybody I've pushed it on the handful of people that have watched it have all really responded to it as well and seen why I Good. love Good. it so much. It, I love John Krakauer. Um, I have a part of a quote from Thoreau that he used in Into the Wild on my wrist even. And I'm just his type of journalism. The main character in this, Fukumachi Makoto, he reminds me so much of Krakauer. It feels like something that Krakauer would do. He would just be out climbing himself he would find this random story and he would be like mm, i'm gonna chase that rabbit and i'm gonna go learn what happened mm. and the way that this merges fiction with history is just so brilliant to me because it mm. it has that concept of you mentioned earlier sir edmund hillary being the famous first person to summit everest the one that is in the record books essentially that we all know and yet this is about potentially these two men who did it before him nearly 30 years, but we don't know because they perished on the mountain. And there may be this camera, or there is a camera, it may or may not have footage that could prove whether or not they did. And there's, it just goes into this really intriguing mystery where this photojournalist is going on his own journey of growth, but he's learning about this other famous hiker and trying to track him down to find this camera and so we get to learn this other hiker's story and why he disappeared off the face of the planet for 10 years and what kind of tragedies he's endured and why and you know it all culminates the photography throughout like you said not only is a detail but it is just it's just breathtaking i mean i can't i was watching last night and trying to make videos of each and every time they showed the mountains and i eventually just stopped because but they were all unique ways of depicting either people climbing or just the the landscape shots of them out in the distance but ultimately when he has to go on this ascent himself he, he gets very personally invested that's the crack hour element for me specifically is you know crack hour climbed everest in order to write into thin air uh he didn't just write about it like he was on a team that did it and that gives it a very unique level of buy-in and perspective and that's what i get out of this movie and it just resonated with me so strongly because it feels so respectful of climbers and what they do and why and at the same time you know it's just a, a marvelous kind of overall story perspective uh, wise and i think that hopefully my gut tells me it should be able to to make this type of film documentary even accessible. Like I'm hoping that by watching this typical movie style of movie making, wow, that was a terrible <laughs> sentence that could then drive people to want to know about what makes actual real life figures do this and see that, Oh, there's all these wealth of great documentaries out there to check out. Um, but yeah, I'm, Really encouraged by this one. I think it's so great on a technical level throughout. And it makes me want to pick up the manga it's based on as well. Yeah, just yeah. to see it from a visual um, style. 
I, I mean, I wish Netflix had promoted it more, but I totally understand why. I mean, first things first, I'm glad that they even released it because my other thought watching it was like, I, I don't know who's going to release this, but thank goodness Netflix did. And then secondly, it was just like, I understand that it's a hard sell because, you know, I mean, in general, it's a hard sell in terms of animation being an adult animation movie. But at the same time, I, 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 if, I would rather you run the marketing campaign because exactly what you said is that I think some people will watch this and be completely changed on mountain movies and what's capable because it's not, it is about mountains, but it is the core of the story between these two guys. And that's kind of like the, the way it handles that as you already, you already said it so well, I don't need to repeat it, but just the way it handles that story takes you into it, I think deeper than other films have, because I, maybe there would have been, a, maybe there's a little bit more freedom to the fact that it's not um, a real story they're telling, but there's also reality in the fact that they're dealing with these climbers. And again, they're dealing with death and they're dealing with uh, a legacy and they're dealing with the, I kind of I knew kind of what was going to happen at the end just because I'm like, of course, you know, this is how mountain people are like, you can't deny that. And you're right in that tracking all four of these. I think there's something that um, at least between us and the, the few of us that love these kind of mountain movies will be able to at the end of the, the, the decade be like there was something about these four not only existing, but coming out at this time and being out together and actually being visible and being seen by people, being able to be accessed on Netflix in other ways and also being discussed. I think Free Solo set a precedent for um, how big this kind of movie can be. It used to be a bit more of a niche thing. And then, that, well, I mean, I guess Everest has always been a big thing, but beyond that, now it's like, hey, there's there's this whole, as you said, subgenre building in a way. Maybe it's not a subgenre today, but in maybe 10 years, there will be enough films to be a subgenre worth of mountain movies and that will be seen more and more and i i always just want people to approach them with that open mind where it's like it's not always about uh having to sit there this is my personal perspective it's not always about having to sit there and say wow this is something crazy i will never do it's wow these are people who inspire me and make me want to do that too and i hope more and more people pick up on that as they get viewed and viewed like i can tell my brother to watch it and he'll he'll get it because he already is but i want to show my friend who's never climbed before one of these films and be like i hope this changes your mind i hope this makes you want to do things and i hope this convinces you if not to climb a mountain i hope it convinces you to do that thing that you're really scared of and that yes. you need to go out and do that's it to me. That is that I love that you said that because I think that that's the kicker, right? Is it doesn't have to be climbing a mountain, just like Nims and Fourteen Peaks. You don't have to go do Fourteen Peaks, you know. <laughs> but what is that thing that you know would change you inside, or would give you a level of satisfaction in your life that you would make you feel like you've completed this thing, this bucket list item before? What is that? that you that, What is holding you back from doing that thing? Go do it. Go find a way. Make it happen. Do the work, whatever is required, but go go accomplish that. And you too can experience what it's like to have the feeling that these people have doing their thing. And maybe it's the same. Maybe it's getting on a mountain um, and climbing one. Who knows? But whatever it is, I think most people have that inside of them. And they know. And it may take a little bit of searching, but I think each of us, if we deep down do a self-evaluation, we could think of the the thing that interests us and excites us the most that, man, it would be really cool if we did that and we just immediately push it down because we're like, yeah. oh, no, it's too hard or yeah. whatever the case. We don't we're not built for that. Well, nobody's, you know, initially. Well, I guess you are if you're NIMS and you're born in Nepal. 
But other than that, you know, or you're built with a yeah. smaller Abdullah Amagata for fear. But uh, yeah, no, I, I love that as well. Other favorites. Um, I wanted to touch on anything else from this point, maybe yeah. past these four, any, you know, few past years. We've talked about several. I mentioned Mountain. Um, it was a couple of years ago. You mentioned it as well. Yeah, I wanted any... to talk about that because. Um... Go ahead. The the filmmaker behind Mountain, the, this woman named Jennifer Peedham, she's uh, I'm actually friends with her only because I met her at, at the Telluride Film Festival in the mountains. What a coincidence. And um, that was the year she brought her film Sherpa there. And we kind of became friends because as soon as we you know were geeking out about mountains, it was just like inseparable combination. She's an Australian woman. And um, uh, I mentioned this because Sherpa was a really formative film for me. It was like I had seen a lot of the mountain climbing films and they were climbing out. I think this was a year or two after Free Solo or around the same time as Meru. And it's just kind of like, they've been around, but this was one where Sherpa not only had prestige because it was playing at festivals, but um, I I think it's a, a groundbreaking film in terms of the way it portrays and, and captures the, the Sherpa life, which her whole thing is she'd been to Everest multiple times and had been there filming a lot. And she was like, every, all the Westerners have the wrong idea about Sherpas and what's going on with them. And I need to make a film about them. And her film, in terms of Sherpa, if you've never seen it, is a unbelievable, perfect time, perfect place. Not only once, but four times in a row. She was there um, uh, after the earthquake. She was there when there was a huge fight between Sherpas and climbers. She was there when there was uh, an avalanche at base camp. She was there like... All of these years were these amazing and, and, you know, once in a lifetime things happen. She happened to be there filming and made this film about how you have to completely respect Sherpas and understand them as we already talked about earlier, as real people who have names and who are just born in the mountains and therefore the mountains is their thing. And this was formative to me because I saw it months before I went to Nepal as well. And not only becoming friends with her, but also learning through the film, I went through the process of kind of like, okay, this is what the film has taught me. Now I'm going to see it in person going to Nepal myself. I actually met the lead guy in the film. I went to his little town. Wow. Met him because she was like, hey, you need to go see him. So she called me up and told me where to go. So we went to his town. He had just had a new baby. And she made me take pictures of the baby to send to her because he's in oh the mountains. It was, it was like this. It was like this moment of I'm meeting the celebrity. And the funniest thing is, is that I, I love the guy. Nothing against him. He did not care about me one bit. He was like, he was like, nice to meet you, and then went back to work, like like cleaning up their farm. And and his, wow. his wife with his kid was way more interested in meeting me and having tea with me. But he just like didn't care. And I was like, I was like, I have even more respect for this guy now. Yeah because he's so driven and because the, you know, the Nepalese mindset isn't about um, that kind of, you know, let's sit down and shoot this, you know, talk about things. It's more like, I'm a worker. These are the things we do. So it was just this like moment of, ah, I get it now. And I fully understand what the Sherpa experience is and what it's like in Nepal and how much the mountains mean to them and how so deeply spiritual this whole thing is and how it's all connected and she perfectly captures that in Sherpa. She shows that in Sherpa. And I think it defines the Sherpa lifestyle in a whole new way, the Sherpa religion in a whole new way. And then also reminds you that there are problems with the commercialization and the tourism of Everest. Like, I was actually kind of nervous to go after watching this film because her attitude was kind of like, hey, this is not good. Don't go, right? Yeah. Almost, yeah. Yeah, but, but she was like, hey, I totally understand that you're a mountain lover like I am and, and you have to go. And I did, and I and I, and I also wasn't like, 
I wasn't abusing my Sherpas like a lot of Westerners do. It was like a mutual, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with my, my Sherpa who was our guy at the whole time. Herba is his name. And we, we, you know, he sends me Facebook messages all the time of, you know, happy birthday and all this stuff. So it's like, like, that's the kind of thing I had. And that was, that was all connected to this documentary. And that was a formative thing to me. Um, And I love that, that Jen is such a, like, it was like, oh, a few few years later, she made Mountain. (laughs) And then you're talking about Mountain. You're like, it's the ultimate mountain loving movie. There's, it's literally 90 minutes of mountains. (laughs) you know and i was like you made this like ah! you know like she's, yeah she's... so definitely people need to check out i don't know where sherpa is um i'll have to i think you can just write it on like itunes i don't know if okay. it's on netflix but it's it's definitely out there i know mountain is currently on canopy for people who have canopy in the u.s you can get this site called canopy and they'll give you like credits to rent movies for free every month or whatever that's how i watched it again but it is, I highly recommend both of them now. I need to check out Sherpa. I knew about it, but I have not seen it. So I will put that on my watch list. But Mountain is, like you said, it is, it's very unique. It is a poem. It is a yeah. love letter. And it is, and the beautiful draw of this is it has Willem Dafoe. And everybody loves <laughs> Willem Dafoe. So Willem Dafoe is essentially narrating with his smoothest voice you'll ever hear. And it's got the Australian Chamber Orchestra pumping this like real-time symphonic score behind the visuals and the narration and it walks through the history of humanity's engagement with mountains in various ways and it the cinematographer is Renan Ozturk um who is the he climbed I think he's climbed Maru I think it's Maru I get all of these movies confused I think Renan was was on Maru Maru with Jimmy Yeah. So um, he's a climber himself. So obviously when you get someone like Renan or Jimmy Chin doing the photography for these movies, you know that the perspective is going to be coming from the right place. It's not an outsider. It's someone who knows how to frame the mountains. And my God, it is incredible. Um, I I saw it in a theater. This is when I did get to see an IMAX. And I remember telling people, do not go see this if you have a fear of heights because it is a terrifying experience to go with them on some of the shots that they take you on. But my God, is it majestic. Um, yeah. And it will just blow your mind at yeah. what the planet has to offer when it comes to these mountains. Sure. Um, some of these you mentioned, so you mentioned to me on Twitter, you you brought up some ski films and you just mentioned, you know, yeah, you're, now I understand why it makes it clicks now, yeah, your brother, yeah. um, and your own. So what is it, skiing down a mountain is a thing too. So what are some of the ones that you particularly love there? Yeah, I mean, as as someone who grew up in a place where the mountains are just right next to you, it's kind of like all outdoor things become your thing. It's like hiking, you can go mountain climbing, you can go skiing, you can go you know, snowboarding, sledding, whatever. So all of that stuff has kind of been my attraction. Skiing was just like the thing to do, um, especially as like a an affluent white guy. You're just like, eh, we'll go see, you know? And I, and I admit my privilege in that I was lucky to be with a family that allowed us to, to go do that. So, so skiing just became like the thing to do. And um, one of the other formative things in terms of growing up in movies and skiing and outdoors was this, uh, there was a guy named Warren Miller who um, if you've lived in the, the the West Coast at all, you're like, I know this guy. Is every year he would make a new ski movie. 
and he would premiere it. But uh, and there's a documentary about him, which is what I mentioned to you on Twitter. There's a documentary that came out a few years ago because he passed away a few years ago. And what they explain in this documentary is that he used to the the cinema world rejected it. They were like, these are just dumb nature movies or, or like comedy sports things. So what he would do is he would rent like auditoriums. And I remember we would go to like the the the, the local place in Colorado Springs where they had like the, the stage place and they would set up a screen and that's where you would go see the new Warren Miller movie, which I always thought was fascinating because I'm like, why are we not in a cinema? And what is this big deal here? And he had these like ridiculous movies that were about... Um, they're like they're like b- before the days of Red Bull taking over the the outdoor sports movie world. They were pre Red Bull what Red Bull was doing. So they would take he would do com- comedy scenes. He had his voiceover in them, and he would just go around the world. So it was basically like he'd say, "Here's these three professional skiers, and they're gonna go ski this mountain in Japan." And then you'd have a 15 minute segment of them skiing in Japan, and some of them would crash. And then they'd be like, "Here, we're gonna go to this resort in Colorado." And then you'd go to Colorado, and then they'd be like. We're going to go to Switzerland next. And it was like a travelogue meets ski bums, just spectacle of, of absurdity because it was half comedy and half awesome skiing. And this was formative to me because it was like every year we went to go see this. And this documentary about Warren Miller that uh, covers his whole career and sort of the origins of how you know he got into making this and doing these things, but also the progress through history of the impact that these films had. And a lot of like every ski, every skier you I've ever met in my life has been like, yeah, I know Warren Miller and I love his movies too. It's just one of those things where it's like he hit the ski nerd bone in the perfect way and everyone loves him. And the funny thing is that no one outside, like he's not known in the cinema world at all. Like even though he was making cinema, no one really knows of Warren Miller. Um, and I, that's what I recommend. If, you, if, you, if you've ever even heard of him, you just, just rent the doc and check it out. It's a really kind of wholesome piece where he gives essentially the last interview of his life talking about his entire life and his career because he passed away not too long after making it um and a similar one to this because it was basically what warren miller did is this uh, film called dirtbag which is in the alpinist they refer to mark as a dirtbag quite often and the term dirtbag is basically what mark is which is the guy who kind of lives on nothing and just lives in the outdoors oh, to live for that's that okay <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> wish I would have known the context for that. Well, no, but I had I had no idea until I saw the Dirtbag documentary, and then I was like, "Oh wow!" Like, and it's so cool because um, the Dirtbag documentary is fascinating because this guy lived like he he mainly did his thing in the fifties and the sixties. So there's not a lot of footage of him, but there's this sense of understanding who he is through the stories told about him, and also trying to to sort of course correct the idea that like this is the original Dirtbag himself. Like everyone tells stories about this is the guy who originated the concept that everyone since then follows because he was the original. I'm going to be the dude who hangs out uh, on uh, like camps on the side of the mountain and then goes and climbs the mountain the next day. That was this guy. He was one of the original versions of that. And I found it to be a fascinating documentary and it wasn't that boring. Some of these can be a bit boring, but this one was like they had so much cool, like they put together so many cool stories. There wasn't a lot of footage to work with, but they still made a fascinating documentary out of it. Um, and I recommend both of these if you're just like, if there's something in what I just said that was like, oh, that sounds interesting. It's just like, just check it out. Just rent it, rent it. And then one night when you feel like it, just pop it on. And I think as soon as it starts, you'll just be taken away into these and just go along for what they are and have a good time. Well, that one's on Hoopla here in the, I don't know if, yet if that's international, but it definitely is available here in the States. You can get Hoopla with your library subscription or mm-hmm. library account um, and rent free movies via there. And so then you can get that one free there. 
Dirtbag is on Amazon Prime Video, so I added that to my watch list today. Um, you mentioned also one called Super Frenchy. What the heck is Super Frenchy? <laughs> it's about um, it's about another. Uh, I think it's like a I think it's a French guy, or maybe it's a French Canadian guy. I have to I have to double check this. Um, it's similar in that he's like this. Um, he's a professional skier, Matthias Gerard, and it's just another one of these. It's not as good as Alpinist and Torn, but it's kind of similar to the the Red Bull documentaries where it's like, here's a really awesome professional guy doing cutting edge stuff. Like he he will do, um, he will put a parachute on himself and he'll ski off a cliff and, and then parachute down. That's his kind of jam. And he's kind of the one who, uh, uh, he he's another one of these like modern guys who goes out and does crazy things like, you know, jump off cliffs off of the mountain. Like, to him, climbing the mountain isn't enough. It's like, what can we do once we've climbed it? You know, and um, it, it's just not as exciting because it's kind of like, I don't want to say nothing happens to him, but um, it's more of a profile of a person where by the end you're like, oh, okay, but I wasn't taken by the storytelling in 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 the way these other four films this year were. But uh, Super Frenchy is good. It's kind of another. There have been a couple of these films recently in the in the last few years that like profile some extreme sports person. Um, another one I want to mention, even though it's not related to Alpine at all, um, this is called uh, this one called Sunshine Superman, and uh, it's a documentary about the first the guy who invented base jumping, who um, oh. uh, his name is Carl Banish, and he's this like he's the kookiest guy you will ever. He's even more kookier than Mark from Alpine. He's even he's like that times ten, and he he was with his wife actually was one of the first like three people to invent base jumping, which is um, building antenna span and earth. So he would like, him and his friends were just like, let's just go jump off of everything. And um, it was a fascinating documentary because it's also about these kind of questions that all of these films are about, which is like, why would you do this? What's the point? And I love it because in that film, he has all these interviews with the news in like the eighties. And they're asking him, why are you so crazy? Why are you doing this? And he gives these like brilliant answers where he's like, uh, I don't believe in rules because the rules of the earth shouldn't stop me from doing things I want to do. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like I love this guy. Um, and uh, I think he, it's his story has a tragic ending too. Um, as soon as you Google all these, so people, many of like, them do. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say half of them, half of them don't make it, but they, but they, the films deal with that because it's like, this is the life he chose to live. And he, I think his wife even says at some point, he, he wouldn't have wanted to die any other way. Yeah. You know, which is which is heavy, but you're like, I get it. You know, I wouldn't. He wouldn't want to die just sitting at home. He'd rather die taking a jump and doing what he loves, and being obsessed with this stuff. Um, and I know that's crazy to some people, but to, to me and to a lot of people, are like, okay, I get it. Like, I don't want to go do that, but I I get the mindset. Um, yeah, I mean, it's whatever whatever the topic, whatever the thing is, it's all about what do you do with the time you have. And I know we both are huge lovers this past year of nine days. It's going to be our next main episode on the podcast. And okay, it's right. similar because it's, what do you do? You know, what if you don't even have the chance to be alive and you only get these nine days at most of existence? Like, how do you make it worth it? Yeah. And right. what's the point of worrying about what happened, what didn't happen if you focus on the moments that you do have? And so, yeah, I think. To a man, to a woman, none of the people that are featured in these films that we're talking about here that have passed away or their fellow climbers, fellow sportsmen ever would regret what they did. Um, it's just a different mindset. And it's it's so fascinating. 
there's also a good selection of cinematic kind of Hollywood type movies mm-hmm. that are out there. Everest is one of them. Cliffhanger, Vertical Limit, those both came out, I think, very close to each other. They're they're that whole Armageddon, Deep Impact, you know, movies that come out that are similar in the same year or close to it. Uh, there's one on K2. And then I rewatched The Iger Sanction recently as well for the first time as an adult. And not the best movie overall anymore <laughs> by far. It's got some real issues, honestly. But climbing-wise, there are some phenomenal sections. In fact, Clint Eastwood and his uh, partners, when they climbed, they climbed uh, this monument in, I think it's in Monument Valley in Arizona, actually. And it was the last time that anyone was ever allowed to climb it uh, officially was for this film. And then there's some alpine climbing sections on the actual Iger that are incredible. And in fact, someone passed away in the same way that the story has one of the characters experiencing uh, a potentially fatal, you know, um, tragedy accident. Someone actually, one of the stuntsmen passed away during that film. And so it's very serious, but visually speaking, like it captures that for a blockbuster movie, like you might not see elsewhere. And then touching the void and Maru, I think are essentials. Um, Both kind of helped to bring this whole sport to the limelight from a documentary perspective. Um, Touching the Void is on AMC Plus right now, and then Meru, Hoopla, and Canopy. You can watch that one for free on both of those services. But all of them, I think, are worth seeing. Anything else you got you want to wrap up with about this whole No, I was just going to say... I was just gonna say, Cliffhanger was on regular rotation with my brother and I when we were growing up. But for the for the exact reason you said, is that the climbing was cool, even though the rest of the movie was so dumb. <laughs> but we always luckily, had a blast with that, you know. Luckily, when you go skiing, you don't have to deal with machine guns and uh, <laughs> grenades. And we dreamed of it, though. We were like, "What? Well, how know, cool right? would it be if we were skiing and had to like battle awesome bad guys rather than just get down to the bottom?" <laughs> like those awesome I... sessions of Inception and uh, the Bond movie. I can't remember yeah, which one it is, yeah. but one of them starts with the big ski down the mountain and being attacked or whatever yeah yeah one of these years i think it was like two or three years ago i deep dived into finding i think it was i think i watched dirtbag and then i thought i want to see every other climbing documentary i haven't seen so far like anything about mountains or climbing and i started watching a lot of them and i was kind of really let down by a lot of them up to that point hadn't really been good there was some there was one of them about like the early everest climb it was just like really poorly put together and really dull and boring and I was thinking to myself, first things first, I was thinking, man, I wish there were better ones. And then lo and behold, you know, over the last five years, we've had so many great ones. And then secondly, I kept thinking something we talked about a little bit in here, which is that while these are always interesting stories and they always want to tell these stories, it's very rare that we actually get filmmakers who understand and have climbed themselves. And we, you already said this a little while ago, that that makes such a huge difference in the films. And I think this is one of the changes we're starting to notice. I think Jimmy Chin being the most visible version of it is being someone who has climbed himself and is also now a filmmaker. And that we're getting more and more of those people who are like, they, they are climbers and they're also filmmakers. And that's making a huge difference in the kind of content we're getting in, in, the, in the stories we're telling and what they're doing, which isn't just, hey, I, I like this story because it's cool and it's about a mountain, but I know this story. I know the personal feelings. I know the connection to it. And I want to tell it in a way that captures those feelings, but also is authentic. 
And I think these four films this year, and I, this is why I love talking about them with you, is that they are so authentic and they're so real in what they deal with. Even Summit of the Gods and its realism in every detail really shook me. And I thought if from now on, if we can not have to worry about whether it's going to be real or not, like the, if I, to be honest with you, that Everest movie that came out four or five years ago, this, this, um, the one based on the crack hour incident, I was really let down by it because I like, yeah, they didn't even shoot it. Yeah. They didn't (laughs) shoot it on Everest. It's all like, I was like, every scene looks fake. And I'm one of these people who's like, I know every crack and crevice of Everest. So I can tell you like, this is not even close to what it's supposed to be. And I thought like, that's what they needed. They needed that reality to it that um, I, I know it's like, okay, you can't really go film on Everest, but the idea that to make me actually feel the stakes of what's happening, don't trick me. Clearly, Nimzai being a great example of like, look, you can get that footage. Yeah, you need to be climbers, but we have Renan, we have Nimzai, we have these people now who know what they're doing and can get the great footage. And that makes it a whole different level of storytelling. And I think that's what's changing. Um, and the other thing, I, before I forget this, that I wanted to drop is that um, this isn't a, a reveal, but the, but Jennifer Petum, the, the Sherpa and Mountain director, she's working on, she has been working on for a long time, the, the definitive feature film about Tenzing Norgay, the Nepali climber on Ooh. Everest. And she's been talking about it for five, ten years now. And one of the problems that I'm sure she's been having is it needs to be authentic, which means they need to cast a Nepalese man as Tenzing. And she needs to shoot it the right way. It's not going to be a Hollywood movie. But I think she came close to getting a deal. I think there was something I saw in the news last year, maybe, about her having a deal to finally start production on it. When she told me about this the first time, the first thought I had is we've never really seen Tenzing's story told in this way. He's been in the news. He's part of it. But to actually see his story made into a movie is what's going to be particularly exciting. And I think after this year... And I'm going to message her and tell her to listen to our podcast and then remind her of these four films because I'm sure she's seen them. But if she hasn't, I think this is the kind of stuff that's going to influence filmmakers from now on. And, you know, these kind of four films are going to say, look at what's been done. And from here, where can we go next? And that's exciting in terms of not only film viewers, but in terms of the mountain community and where we're headed in terms of what's next. Wow, that's perfect. Like, I'm going to let that be it because that is <laughs> the ideal ending. And I love the optimism and it makes me hopeful and excited about the future as well because yeah. I'll take as many of them well-made and with <laughs> authenticity and heart behind them as we can get. I don't want it yeah. to be something that gets saturated with a bunch of copycats who are just casually trying to, you know, hit on something that has become a phenomenon. Yeah, because then we just contribute to that whole tourism cycle and commercialization, and that's not what we want. We want to keep it special, um, exactly as it is. Well, before we go, uh, I always want to give everybody a chance. How can people find your work, follow you, connect with you on social media? Just let us know all your different places that we can reach you. Of course, of course. I'm, as always, my, I'm at first showing. So on Twitter, at first showing, and on Letterboxd, at first showing. Um, those are the main two places I do for movies. And outside of the realm of movies, I uh, am a photographer and I post a lot of my shots on Instagram. My Instagram account is at A Billington, like letter A and then my last name, Billington. Um, it's been a bit of a down year because of the pandemic, but, uh, if you go back, you'll see I actually have a lot of mountain shots because as soon as I go somewhere with mountains, I just get obsessed with mountain photos. And I'm like, 
here's 50 photos of a mountain. Uh, I was last in, at the beginning of 2020, I was in Chamonix skiing in, in France. So a lot of my recent shots are from the, the French Alps. <laughs> Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. that'll be great. Yeah, I'll have to go check those out. I actually just got uh, Jimmy Chin's book that he put out oh, uh, about yeah, a month yeah, or two yeah. ago. Yeah. Not to compare your photography to his, of course. But no, no, no. Uh, I, it just, it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. Pretty I, staggering. I, he's, he's my... Um, what do you, I would I wouldn't hero's not the right word. The ultimate like version of what I aspire to be is what yeah. he has done. And his like I saw that book and I was like, oh my gosh, this is every shot he takes is mind blowing perfection. There's so many ah okay, I need to buy it too. <laughs> it is. I highly recommend it to anybody. It's well worth the money for sure. Well, that's it for this casual conversation, this inaugural episode of this series. And I really hope that all of you listeners have enjoyed it getting to know Alex, getting to hear us talk about this topic, and hopefully you found some movies that you plan to seek out. If so, I, and I'm sure Alex as well, would love to hear from you. So you can find me on Twitter at Film or on Letterboxd at Aaron L. White. And a link to that profile is in the show notes, as well as one to join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group, where 300-plus cinephiles and blockbuster fans come together to chat about movies all day every day i'll also throw alex's social links in the notes to this uh, episode so you can get a quick click and easy way to follow them i'll be back soon until then keep watching and keep feeling film.